0: Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. This week, it's time to take a very deep dive into the 20-year-old Australian Alex De Minaur, fresh off of his second title of the year, his second career title. Congratulations to De for winning Atlanta. He's one of two title winners. Also, Nicholas Vili uh, won and actually defended his title in Hamburg last week beat a very impressive looking Andre Rublev, who also deserves some acknowledgement at the top of this show for beating Dominic team in Hamburg. Uh, so it was actually uh, it, was, it was a pretty interesting week. I really enjoyed the final D-minor, uh in Atlanta, beat t- uh, Taylor Fritz, who had an equally impressive week and similar to, um, well, I don't know if Deor has been kind of derailed by injury this year, but Fritz, uh, another guy, young, having a breakout year. I made a uh, bold prediction last year that he was going to have a better career than uh, Francis Tiafoe. Still waiting to see how that plays out. Uh, but right now, it's not looking like a, like an awful prediction. Uh, so this is going to be a report card-like uh, segment coming up here. And I've done it twice before. I did it uh, to Stefanos Tsitsipas, and I did it with Felix Auger, Ali aliassime Uh, Those are the the past two kind of report cards, and we're going to do it again here. Um, So there's going to be a couple categories. The report card itself does not go in depth, so don't focus as much on the grade. Focus more on what I'm actually saying, uh, if I may ask that. Um, And then the last thing before we start is you might be thinking, Gil, what is that on your upper lip? And the answer is, well, I was shaving before the show, and I always do this area last. And I couldn't bring myself to do it. It was like this force from up above was just not letting me do it. And then I realized why. I'm about to do a show on Alex D. Menor, uh, who just won a title with the worst mustache I've ever seen. So, so in honor of his awful upper lip hair... Um, I haven't shaved mine. I know it's n- even less substantial than what Demonor has, but I still think it might look better. But that's just me. There's our thumbnail. The uh, the point from Demon to his box after winning the title. Let's get going um, on this report card. We start with his forehand. It gets a B. I think it's like a a low B. I was almost I was pondering a B minus here. Um, and keep in mind, I'm gonna say that this is tour average in the top 20, and B is average. So he, to me, has like a close to like a tour average forehand in the top 20. Something, a, a few things to to kind of unpack here. One, very unorthodox shot. I have no idea how it works, but it works pretty well when he has time. When he has time to load it up, he hits it flat. Uh, Not a lot of net clearance, but really rips through a certain kind of court. And Atlanta was lightning quick, uh, about as fast as it gets as far as outdoor hard courts go. The high temperatures also assist that. Um, Quite quite, just an all-around, a very lively court. Um, And on a court like that... Dimitrov's forehand is considerably better, and actually that's going to be true for his backhand as well. So just when addressing his ground strokes, uh, I want to get into that. Not to mention his results on outdoor hardcourt is is incomparable to his results on all the on on any other surface. So on on clay and grass, uh, Dimitrov is is not the same player so far. And by the way, he says Grass is his favorite surface, and I believe him. I think he'll be a good grass court player. But while Grass might be his favorite right now, all of his results are, are on hard, and I think he moves a lot better on hard, which is the reason for that. Uh, Clay, there are separate issues, so I want to get into him a little bit. Um, in terms of the the offense, um Demonore's um, attack it really relies on taking time away and staying on top of the court. He does not hit his forehand or his backhand uh, particularly big. I don't think it's a heavy shot, but I think he can um, he can place it very nicely, so he can be precise with it and he can take away time. And those are those are his major two weapons: precision and time. Um, he uses width. He uses depth, and he uses time. Doesn't really use height. There's not much spin on the ball. And doesn't really use pace because he doesn't hit very big, especially when he doesn't have time to load up his forehand. The reason it's a B and, and the reason why I think it's one of the weaker parts of his game overall is because uh, if, if you can rush that shot, it can get a little bit wonky with his technique uh, because it, it takes him a while to kind of get around on it and sometimes it's not that he catches it late although sometimes he can catch it late but he, he almost doesn't have time to really the, the way his swing works um it's not it, it's very long on his forehand side so he he has trouble keeping it compact and still kind of hitting through the ball when it's coming hard at him um or when it's uh when it's a particular particularly heavy shot coming at his forehand side or there's um, a great deal of depth on the shot i just feel like if i'm i i I do think that that wing is a little bit more um attackable especially when it comes to trading because alex is very willing to move back and defend which is a separate issue because when he moves back to defend, it's so hard to hit it by him. Obviously, we'll get to that uh, when we get to the movement category. But when he's neutral, um, he's generally, he plays really tight on the baseline. And when it comes to his attacking tennis, I I think that he plays on the rise as much as anyone. I mean, I, I think he plays on the rise as much as Roger Federer. So when you can get him kind of off the baseline, uh, when you can pressure the forehand side, sometimes he just, he he has to kind of bunt it back a little bit. He doesn't really, he he doesn't have that kind of short, um, quick, kind of easy power that, um, you know, like Dominic Team has or David Ferrer had. He doesn't have the simple take back. Think about the simple take backs that, I mean, you know, the, the, the big three, you know, they all have pretty short takebacks. Uh, most good forehands will have, you know, compact, quick, uh, simple takebacks um, so that they can execute their forehand even when the ball's coming really quick. Demonor takes a while um, and, and his technique is, is quite unorthodox in that respect. So on clay, when the ball's bouncing higher, I don't think he's that good above his shoulder. Um, and because he doesn't hit very big and he really relies on taking time away, a slower court will almost give the time back to his opponent. So all the time that he takes away from taking it early, the 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 pace of the court, the slowness of the court will essentially give the time back, which is why in terms of offense, players who hit bigger um, so they can... They can really uh, utilize the mechanics of a clay court and the way the ball can jump off a clay court, so heavy hitters. uh, They have more success on attacking on a clay court than a player like Demon Orr, who relies kind of like Federer a little bit more on taking time away um, and using width and and, uh, and using depth. His backhand is quite similar, although uh, the major difference is that it's really compact really quick, really simple, straight to the point. It's got a different problem than than the forehand, which is why it's still a B, but I do think his backhand is a little bit better compared to Tor average than his forehand. So I, I, I was leaning more almost towards B plus on his backhand. And as I said before, I was leaning almost more towards B minus on his forehand, but I decided to give them both a B. His backhand's very different because his backhand, he has trouble kind of generating Pace off of his backhand. Um, if you if he he requires uh, the ability to use his opponent's pace against them. Again, when the ball's coming quick on a faster surface, uh, when you when you have kind of that bang bang uh, fast paced tennis, his backhand is a little bit more effective on a slower court. You gotta generate more, like on clay. Um, it it's it really does pinpoint the weakness of that stroke. The backhand, again, very, very short, compact take back. So it's not as attackable. It's more consistent. Less errors come from that side. Uh, he gets great depth. He and And I, I do like the shot. And on the run, it's very nice as well. He has a slice, a pretty good one at that. So the backhand is very solid. It's just he can't really generate his own pace off of it. Similar to his forehand, he relies on taking it off the bounce early um, and and using time to his advantage. Which before we go on to the next um, the next slide, I just kind of want to show you guys a little bit what that looks like with some uh, with, with some screenshots. This is off of a second serve. Taylor Fritz hits this backhand uh, pretty well right back at Demonor, but but watch him just stand his ground here um and just take it right off the hop at its highest point. And in this case, taking time away it can do two things. in this case, there's the forehand. look how late Taylor Fritz is at reacting to this to this ball because he takes it right off the hop it it just it gets up on Fritz quicker than um than it would if if demonor just, used his footwork to move back a little bit and, and not really stand his ground and hit this on the rise. So Fritz catches this late, and it goes about nine feet long. It hits the frame. Uh, the other factor is, of course, not allowing your opponent to recover. So here's a forehand. You can kind of see how, how loose he keeps his wrist by the flexion there at that point in his swing. Um, uses his hips a lot, so watch, how his, watch his right leg. Watch how it comes through. That's where the power comes from in his forehand. But uh, this is a strong forehand. Fritz is going to try to defend. He he defends down the line, which is probably just because, again, he caught it late. But Demonor just understands that the quicker he takes this ball, the harder it's going to be for Fritz to recover. So the way he just moves up to this ball again, he's, he's taking it right off the hop. And Fritz just doesn't have time to even split-step here. Um, he's... He's just moving to the open court, and even though he's moving to the open court, there's still not enough time for him to get to the other side of the court. So that's just a, a little bit of a um, little bit of a demonstration on the way Diminor takes uh, time away. All right, next up, his serve. I gave it an A minus. I was uh, that's kind of a low A minus. I was thinking about a B plus, but I gave him an A minus. This is what was so impressive in Atlanta, primarily his serve. In fact, uh, Demonor did not get broken all week. And it's so impressive to me because he's about five foot ten, And for someone that height, it's very easy for them to say, Okay, I don't really have a great angle. I don't get to hit the ball as high over the net, so I'm not going to have a flat serve. Plenty of players do this plenty of shorter players will do this diego schwartzman doesn't really have a flat serve ferrer he could hit it kind of flat but there is still kind of a lot of slice on every serve he hit didn't really have a flat serve the last player i can remember who really hit a flat serve at demonor's height is uh nicholas almagro who could get up in the 130s despite being just 510 and a lot of that is just the willingness and the mindset to be, well, yeah, you know, I, I don't have the best angle on it, but I'm still going to try to develop my flat serve. And d menor has, has done that really nicely. Um, and he's a spot server. He, he hits his spots. So he gets enough MPH on it. He has his flat serve, and he hits his spots with it. I mean, his first serve is really tough to deal with. Again, how come he's better on hard courts than he is on clay courts? Well, he does not have a kick serve. His second serve has quite a lot of slice on it and not a lot of topspin on it. And we've spoken in the past about how effective the kick serve is on clay and how much of a missed opportunity it is when you don't have that serve on that surface. But Demon for is height. Uh, his serving is really, uh, really, really something to, to almost be marveled at. Uh, it's, it's, it's quite impressive. Let's go to the next category. It is his movement, and it gets an A+. It's what makes Alex DeMeneur so special, so unique. It's what will make him a top 10 player. When, when he reaches that point, and I believe he will, I'll talk a little bit more about my expectations for his career after I'm done with this whole shebang. But uh, the movement is an A+. I don't think there's anyone quicker on the tour right now. Uh, he has Michael Chang-esque quickness. He has Andy Murray, Novak Djokovic, Rafa Nadal, um, Gael Monfils, uh, young Roger Federer-like quickness. Um, the, the, the acceleration, the first step, the ability to change direction, it allows for him to do so many different things. Of course, the classic, the classic thing with defense is it gets your opponent to make errors because they're trying to make it too perfect. It's one thing hitting a drop shot against John Isner and knowing, yeah, if it's the right shot, as long as it's a decent drop shot, it'll do. It's a whole nother thing, hitting a drop shot against Alex Timonor, where you realize this isn't a perfect drop shot. He's going to be there in plenty of time. What, what does that do? Not only does it make him get to poor drop shots, it's also going to make me miss more drop shots. And that's true for every single attacking shot in tennis, is Timonor will draw errors with his speed. The second thing is the way it allows him to defend. It allows him to go down the line actually more often because he's so quick that he's really not worried about not having time to recover to the middle. And when he's playing defense, it actually allows him to defend much more aggressively. Um, A player who's not as fast will need to defend with lots of height to, to, to give them time To get back to the middle and recover. But Demon Orr, especially on his forehand side, will often defend aggressively with a lot of the times flat forehands with not a lot of net clearance. Because he knows that he can probably make up the ground with his legs. The other thing with his movement is what he's able to do with closing in at the net. And I think that if you made every player serve volley, like you, and you literally did not let a player not serve volley, and that was the rule for tour for an entire year, I think Demonor would be one of the best players on tour because he's got all the tools to serve volley. He's got really good volleys, a really good serve, as I mentioned. But how quick he's able to get up to the net is a really valuable asset. I mean, you can't serve and volley effectively if you don't have a good 10-yard sprint. What is that in meters? I'm not sure, but you get the picture. If you can't, if you can't close the distance to the net, um, that, that, that is going to make your, your net play overall and your serve volleying spe, uh, specifically a lot less effective. And by the way, just for fun, now that I've breached the topic, obviously it would help guys like Isner and Raonic play really well, Um, and Federer would probably be the best player in the world, given his net play is a lot better than a guy like you know the bigger the guys with the bigger server serve like Isner and Raonic don't really have the skills at the net that Federer has, so I would think. I would think that, that Federer would win a lot of titles if you had to serve volley. At this stage, I think Nadal would do quite well. I think Djokovic um, would would be pretty pretty hurt by it, uh, to say the least. Um, and I'm I'm wondering if there's if there's anyone else. Um, I mean, in terms of players who serve volley, off the top of my head, uh, players who who actually use it as a, a common tactic. Uh, Raunich and Feder are the first ones to come to mind, but, uh, you have a guy like Matt Ebden do it a lot. Dustin Brown is, is a serve volleyer. Uh, God, they're, they're really getting rare on the tour. So his volleys are an A. Uh, he's got great technique, especially on his backhand volley. He really sticks it. Um, he's got pretty good hands with them, So he's, he's just a really great volleyer. And then we'll move on straight away to mental, which is an A. I think he has the mentality of a boxer. He trains incredibly hard. He works incredibly hard on the court. Uh, he is extremely motivated, determined to, to have as good a career as possible. And the person he reminds everyone of is his idol growing up, Leighton Hewitt, who now is uh, Demonor's coach. But that's who he grew up looking up to. And if you if you grow up looking up to a guy like Leighton Hewitt or a guy like David Ferrer, um, hopefully the reason or probably the reason you look up to them is because of their work ethics. Uh, so Demonor is a guy whose who's mental is an A to me because he understands and he knows how to really dig in. If you look at this as a whole... You have a really rare combination of a guy who serves big and moves great. If you just look at the tour, that's 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 a rare skill set. You have a guy with above-average volleys, above-average mental. The only thing that's kind of missing, the only reason why... I'll just say it right now. The only reason why Demonor, in my opinion, does not have as high career prospects as Felix Ogiali seem. Or Stefanos Tsitsipas, um, or Alexander Zverev at his best, if he fixes some things, uh, is because the majority of of tennis is is gonna be your ground strokes, and he's they're not bad, but it's just a little bit it's a little bit average on his end with with how well he's able to uh trade on his forehand side generate on his backhand side uh there there's there are just some deficiencies there with with his baseline game i ultimately think that the range for demonora versus uh with you know how how good he can be and how bad he can be um i think it's it's a pretty positive one but I expect him to be a player who's top 10 for a lot of his career. I think he'll have the chance to win some majors. I don't think he'll ever be at the tippy top elite elite of the sport. But I think he'll be someone who's challenging the elite's elite. And I think he'll be someone who will be consistently going deep into really big tournaments. 20 years old has had some injuries, troubles, but he's shooting up the ranks. He has such a unique game. Who plays like Alex Di Minor? I can't think of anyone. I really can't. Um, so I realized I didn't tease what I'm talking about for the rest of the show at the top. Um, so let's we're gonna take a quick look at the city open draw quick look at Cabos uh, the, the Los Cabos draw um is it Los Cabos or just Cabos Uh, I'm not sure it's not gonna get the full preview treatment just kind of a quick glance Um, and then I'll get to some comments there won't be time to get to a lot of them because I'm not gonna go over 30 minutes today excuse me okay Let's look at the City Open. It is the 500-level tournament this week. The one seed is Pas, The two seed is Hachinov. The three seed is... Where is he? Where's our three seed? I think it's... Um, I can't find him, folks. I can't find him. There he is, Medvedev there's our 3 seed. That was probably painful for you guys. And the 4 seed is Kevin Anderson. You're probably pointing at your screen like he's right there. Anyway, uh this tournament always seems to be kind of a little next gen open. Last year, the semifinals were Rublev and Dimitrov and uh versus and also Tsitsipas versus Sasha Zverev. And Zverev won it. Zverev is not back in D.C., which was uh, an interesting, questionable call on his scheduling, but Sasha, at the end of the day, probably needs some time right now uh, to deal with some of the -the off-the-court stuff with his manager and also some of the -the on-the-court stuff with a couple problems that I laid out in my last thoughts video, which I talked about what I'd do if I coached Sasha Zverev. So this is always an interesting kind of next gen open to me. Uh, Titi Pas and Gafan are the two guys I'm watching this week. I'm curious to see Felix. He was he was not he was not as good on clay as maybe I thought he was going to be after what he was doing on the hard courts. Um, after after the Australian Open, we realized that Felix. Still needs some more consistency and some more patience. And as a result, uh, the courts that really help him are the faster courts where his offense can be quite overwhelming for opponents. So it'll be interesting to see what Felix does here. Um, It's going to be... Also interesting to see the second round matchup between Dimunor and Rublev. It's a rematch of last year's semifinals, and it's it's just the second round. Uh, Hachinov has a tough draw with Sanga, uh, a match that can go either way. So the the two seed will be possibly in in some trouble right away. That'll be interesting. Sanga looked quite good today. And um, that's about it. So I think that... Gafan, I think Tsitsipas is the favorite, and I think Gafan is my is more of my dark horse pick to win this one. Someone, someone kind of outside the top four seeds, because um, I, I was uh, quite inspired by Gafan's form at Wimbledon, and I've just been kind of waiting for him to get back to to what we saw him do in 2017, where he had such a great uh, season. Here is Cabos. It is a smaller draw. It's tiny, actually. It's a 250 event. Got Fanini, Pela, Schwarzman, and uh, Luca Pui as the top four seeds. Taylor Fritz in great form is in there. Grigor Dimitrov trying to figure things out. I think I have a que- a comment about him a little bit later. Uh, but my pick for this one will be Guido Pela, who uh, I've been kind of beating, beating his drum, beating his hype drum uh, all year because I think that he's really good on on all surfaces, and uh, his form, I think everyone needs to start taking notice of. Okay. Talked a little bit about Pela in the French Open vlog. It's the only time I've really went in-depth on him on this channel. So if you're curious exactly what I have to say about about Palo, you can check that video out. By the way, the uh, Noah Rubin interview, while we're on the topic of old uh, videos, the Noah Rubin interview, I, I kind of wish it – I'm going to be honest. I kind of wish it had more views compared to most of the stuff I put out because I, I do think that um, that was really insightful. And, and Noah is such a smart guy who thinks so hard about the game and has really unique perspectives um, from, you know, a challenger-level player. He's, he's so well-spoken, so um, such a thoughtful guy. And I think that there was, a, there was some really interesting discussion in that one. So if you haven't seen the Noah Rubin interview, who's uh, currently world number one, 168 national champion with Wake Forest, uh, junior Wimbledon champion, uh, please do check that out. To the comments we go. First comment is from Ryan Locke, and it is about Grigor Dimitrov. Dimitrov is now ranked 57 in the world. Where did it all go wrong for him, given that many people thought he was going to challenge for major titles? So right now, Dimitrov is dealing with a lot of shoulder pain, and it has absolutely destroyed his serve. So that was always one of the things that when people were comparing him to Roger Fetter, that was one of the things that was and, and that was never, never called for. It was never the Federer comparisons were a product of him using Wilson, wearing Nike, and having a one-handed backhand. And his forehand looks maybe a little bit in technique, somewhat like Fetter's. But overall, those comparisons weren't really weren't really ever warranted. But the serve was the biggest area where he, he's also got a platform serve, just like Federer. But biggest area where Dimitrov was never showing the potential as Roger Federer. But right now, this shoulder injury is making it even worse. And he's getting very little out of his serve, and he's not an elite returner. Which is, I mean, it's, it's obviously uh, not a good way. He's not starting off points well. So already he's at a disadvantage there. I think that his forehand has kind of been on and off. His backhand is a bit average. His movement looks pretty good to me these days, but he needs to he needs to figure out the shoulder. He needs to serve better, and then once he serves better, I think the reason why he he made the run in twenty at the end of was it at the end of twenty seventeen. Yeah, at the end of twenty seventeen, where he got up, I think in the top. Five, but maybe the top three. Did he get? Did he get that high? Possibly. Uh, Dimitrov's forehand was at a much higher level than than it's been, which I'm I'm not really sure why. But he was absolutely bashing the forehand. It was on indoor hardcore where he compiled a lot of those rankings points, though. And we know that how sometimes at the end of the year, some of the results can be a little bit skewed by uh, lower motivation from the top guys. And kind of a a strange court surface that we don't see any majors on. Wow, it's already 30 minutes in. Okay, let's try to fly through some of these. Gil, who are your favorite tennis commentators and analysts? I'm glad, and that question is from Michael Neves. I'm glad you asked me about my favorite because if you asked me about my least favorite, I would have given you a no comment. Uh, My favorite, I'm so impressed by the, uh, the ESPN crew here in the United States because I actually think that they're right on par with the tennis channel people um and 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 though and that crew because actually i think i like them maybe i'm not sure i mean both have have great people but i love brad gilbert i love darren cahill um i think john McEnroe is good as long as there's someone to check him on the bbc broadcast it's almost like sometimes he's having a conversation with himself and there's no one there to to check him you know, and, and to push back on some of the things that, that he says. But I think McEnroe's entertaining. I think Chris Fowler is a great tennis play by play. And then, um, let me, you know, it's off the top of my head. Um, I want to give some love to uh, Matthew Willis, founder of The Racket. Uh, he does a really good job with uh with what he does um i enjoy steve weissman's play-by-play very much um i know I, I mean look i the 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 hard part is is i know i'm leaving out people but i gotta move on jose moreno if you were in rogers camp uh what would you suggest to beat novak in the u.s open uh, I think he had the right game plan at Wimbledon. Mix up pace, challenge his north-south footwork on the backhand side, move him in, move him back. I mean, it's it's really the way he can beat Djokovic is he can make him hit uncomfortable backhands from inside the court, and uh, he, can, he can do a better job than Djokovic of mixing up his pace and his depth and even his height. So I think, his, I think his tactics were correct. Uh, the next question from Sharif is about, it's a, it's a hypothetical about if Djokovic does this and that, will he be the GOAT? And it depends on what Federer does and what Nadal does. So I can't answer a question like that, unfortunately. Sep saves. Uh, what do you make of Kyrgios's Insta post about a week ago where he crossed out um, a Novak shirt with a Sharpie? My thoughts is that Kyrgios, it doesn't look good for Kyrgios because Djokovic is is ignoring him. So Kyrgios is punching up and Djokovic refuses to punch down. If they were going at it, then I would kind of be entertained by it and I would think that it's fun. But instead, I, I just think Kyrgios is coming across um, not so well because Djokovic is is not responding. So how many jabs are you going to give the guy when the guy's not responding and, and he's also accomplished so much than you. It's it's not a good look for Kyrgios, honestly. And I think he should stop. Unless he's asked about it, right? I mean, if he's on a podcast and someone says, what do you think of Novak? And then Kyrgios gives his honest answer about what he thinks of Novak. I don't mind that. But for him to try to make something out of some beef with Novak, when when Novak's just ignoring him, it's, it's making Kyrgios look bad, is my opinion. Football, Aguero, Manchester City. Do you think Djokovic slash Federer, he still is on Manchester City, right, Aguero? Do you think Djokovic slash Federer will prioritize the Olympics next year? Not more than, than they usually would. I still think with with the slam count being so competitive, I think that every slam matters so much and I think the Olympics will matter kind of equally. Uh, Simon Simonovic, great name. Who do you think from the older players have the biggest chance to win a slam? Great question. Del Potro, Vavrinka, Chilic, Rownich, Nishikori, and uh, excuse me, Anderson. Um, best chance to win a slam. It should be Del Potro, um, but it's it, the injuries are so demoralizing. Del Potro was really close last year, really, really close. I mean, if Djokovic hadn't rounded back into form. Del Potro would have won the U.S. Open. Um, and, and Djokovic was at such a high level there that Del Potro ran into um, ran into kind of a monster, but he was really he was at a high enough level to uh, to win the U.S. Open there. So I am going to say definitely not Chilich. I don't think Vavrinka, I don't think Raunich, not Nishikori, Anderson. Probably not. So despite the injuries, my answer to that question is Del Potro. Rafa's chances at the U.S. Open. Pretty good if it's playing like it was last year, especially if Djokovic um, is not at the same level that he was last year, which I think is kind of likely. I'm sure I'll get into that more um, a little bit later. Um, Doesn't mean he's not the favorite, but I don't know if he's going to be as dominant as he was last year. Okay, um, that is going to be all we can get to. There are some really good questions. One about Noah Rubin that that maybe I'll uh, respond to with my typing fingers instead of making this video longer than it was. How about this, folks? We can go 37 minutes um, when the only tennis last week was Hamburg Open and bb and Open in Atlanta. Um, we will keep it coming. Before I sign off, just a a little bit of a heads up on what's to come for the channel. Next week, or this week, I'm I'm, I'm pretty much around. You can expect kind of normal scheduling. Next week, I will be in Los Angeles. So um, that will be the week of Montreal. So I'm not really sure. The content might change a little bit. Um, Might be kind of hard to keep up with things until the semifinal and the final. But Cincinnati... I'm going to probably do a full-time week and, and, give, uh, and do some daily videos as, as an experiment. And then it'll be U.S. Open time. Very exciting. All right. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time.